0: You know, I think about the late, great John Lewis, who said, always be ready to make necessary good trouble. Mm -hmm. And that's what professional troublemakers do. They're not contrarians. They're not trolls. They're people who are like, there are things to fix in this world, and I want to help fix it. So ultimately, to be that, we're going to constantly have to do things that scare us. We're going to have to constantly push past our comfort zones. You are going to have to constantly push past the fear that tells you to be quiet or to not ask for that thing that you really care about.
1: Hello and welcome to the Shiftmakers Podcast, where we share the collective wisdom some of our greatest minds have to offer. I am your host Marianne Schnall, a writer and journalist. Over the years, I've had the incredible honor of interviewing a variety of remarkable change makers, and it is my pleasure to share some of these recordings with you for this podcast. Welcome to Shiftmakers. My guest today, Lavia Ajayi jones is an internationally recognized author and speaker who has appeared on stages at Can Lions, TED Women, South by Southwest, LeaderCast, The Makers Conference, as well as countless others around the globe. Her first book, I'm Judging You, was a New York Times bestseller, and her newest work, Professional Troublemaker, The Fearfighter Manual, which upon its initial release made every bestseller list, was just released in paperback by Penguin Random House. This honest, inspiring, and humorous book delves into tackling fear, which she calls, quote, that everlasting hater, and she encourages readers to audaciously step into lives, careers, and legacies that go beyond even their wildest dreams. An 18-year blogging veteran known for her wit, Lovey has recently launched a podcast, also called Professional Troublemaker, where she is in conversation with changemakers and trailblazers who have committed to, quote, disrupting for the greater good. In our upbeat, candid, and lively conversation, Lovey discusses the themes in her book and its newly added truth-telling guide, her life habit of courage, how it's okay to, quote, be too much, the value she sees in sharing one's failures, how she has adapted to being a public figure, and the self-care she values most. How are you? Good, Good, how are you? I just want to say that I believe this is like our third conversation, and I always come away feeling like, energized and motivated and like thoughtful and and I'm just so thankful for your voice right now it just you know it just hits the spot just with, with no matter what's happening it doesn't matter it could be you know some like serious event or it could be the sex and the city reboot it doesn't matter and sometimes you give me that laugh i need but sometimes you also just give me that like deep wisdom or you're like venting something that like I wish I like somebody would say and you say it so I just wanted to start with like thank you
0: you are welcome I love that reflection I'm I'm really (laughs) like you know what I I love that I could do that especially in this moment where everything is a dumpster fire so you know trying to bring some joy sometimes trying to bring some thoughts sometimes all of it
1: First of all, you have your inspiring book, Professional Troublemaker, and it's just out in paperback. And um, so obviously the, the whole book goes into this in a lot more detail, but what does it mean to be a professional troublemaker? And what are you hoping that readers will take away from this book?
0: Yes, to be a professional troublemaker is to be a disruptor, is to be somebody who is committed to doing or saying what's hard, especially during those moments. You know, I think about The late great john lewis who said always be ready to make necessary good trouble Mm -hmm. and that's what professional troublemakers do they're not contrarians they're not trolls they're people who are like there are things to fix in this world and i want to help fix it ultimately to be that we're going to constantly have to do things that scare us we're going to have to constantly push past our comfort zones whether it's in a room where we know we're the only the lone dissenting voice Mm-hmm. you know the meeting where you have to say i don't really love that idea whether it's at the dinner table with your family and somebody makes a joke that's not appropriate you are going to have to constantly push past the fear that tells you to be quiet or to not ask for that thing that you really care about so
1: mm-hmm.
0: i honestly think like if my book had a thesis it would be that you know for us to live the audacious lives that we want We're going to have to make some really good trouble. And that's going to come with us doing things that scare us over and over again.
1: You have added a new chapter, a truth telling guide. So why did you decide this was like the focus of this new chapter? Like why this topic now for you?
0: Yeah. You know, I talk a lot about speaking truth to power and being a truth teller. And a lot of what we are challenging people to do in this world is to constantly like use our voice, use our power in rooms that we are in. And a lot of people are wondering, okay, so how do I do it? What is the thing that I go through that takes me from, I don't know if I should say this to, you know what, I'm going to say it anyway and do it. So I wanted to write a truth telling guide, a practical guide mm-hmm. that allows you to decide when to speak up, when to be quiet. What to do about the fears that you have, which often includes fear of consequence. And how do you put it all in perspective? So that when you are in the room, you can say, okay, I've weighed all the different options and speaking up is still the most important thing. Mm-hmm. So it's the truth telling guide that I wish I had 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, that is just practical. That tells you, all right, step one, what happens when something happens in the room that you're in, that you don't love? What's step two after that, when you know that you're stuck between this moment of, speaking up and facing dissent or being quiet and just going with what is happening. So that's why I wanted to write the truth telling guide, a practical guide that will walk you through these moments.
1: Absolutely, I, this is definitely the time for 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 telling the truth. Um, so thank you for because I, I do think that you do need a, a guide for that, and you're you're the one to do it. And you've been working on so many of these themes; they're all interconnected. But when the last time I spoke to you was, you had just you know it seems like ages ago, but it, it was it was a few years ago where you gave this now viral TED Talk on getting comfortable with being uncomfortable and also talking about overcoming fear. How would you describe your personal relationship with that topic, overcoming fear, and what general advice would you offer? My personal
0: relationship with overcoming fear is a constant life habit. You know, I really talk about how my journey, my testimony as a speaker, as a writer, as a human being is of these moments where I have been afraid of doing or saying something and I did it anyway and being rewarded for it. And there's a few times when I've been punished for it, right? And I think courage is a life habit that you choose. You know what I mean? like, and You cannot have courage in the absence of fear. My relationship with it is every single day when I show up to say something that feels hard, on, in that day, I'm choosing to be courageous, right? I didn't just wake up and say, my personality is courage. No, nobody's born with the courage gene. It is something that you make a choice for every day. I mean, hopefully every day. Um, And I always use myself. I'm not an expert. I call myself a guide as as much as anything because I'm like, I'm speaking from my experience about how my life has been transformed because of my insistence of constantly doing scary things. And I'm hoping that it shows people what's actually possible for them. Especially for me as a black woman, I'm on two margins, you know? So I do know that the stakes are often higher for me, but I say, if I can do it, even with the stakes that are high, then I'm hoping other people will say, yes, I can also do it.
1: Well, you know, it was funny, because when I had the good fortune to interview Maya Angelou twice, and the one thing that she said in both interviews was that courage was the most important of all the virtues, that without courage, you can't do anything else consistently. Courage, it's the most
0: important of all the virtues, because without courage, you can't practice any other virtue consistently. I mean, you can be anything erratically, kind, fair, true, generous, but to be that thing time after time, you need courage.
1: She did also talk about the idea of starting with you know, smaller things, building up your sort of resilience. And I had written down, you had said in your book, uh, which I loved, uh, fear is a hater, a liar, and a cheat that thing that you keep thinking about but you keep stopping because you are afraid do that thing so why is overcoming fear important and like you know not just in terms of you know sort of holding us back in our own personal lives but like so individually and and collectively why is this important
0: because it actually affects all facets of our lives you know being afraid will stop us from asking for a raise when we know we've earned it It'll stop us from even negotiating our salary when we're given our first offer, which has economic, you know, issues attached to it. Mm -hmm. That fear that tells you, you know what, if I ask for a raise, they're going to take back the offer, which then lets you take the first offer means you're not getting the money you should be getting, which means this money that can be transforming your life or allow you to not worry about paying your bills. Mm -hmm. didn't happen because you were simply afraid of doing this thing. Why I think fighting fear is a justice issue is that when we allow ourselves to be complacent, when we allow fear to stop us from doing or saying these key things, it absolutely reverberates through our lives. You know, Mm -hmm. again, like it can be an economic justice issue. If we speak up if we don't speak up in a room where somebody is being uh, treated terribly. It could be a social justice issue, right? If we are not speaking up as we're watching the world crumble, it's a systems of oppression issue. So all of these have tangible impact in our day-to-day lives professionally and personally we can't leave it behind
1: and maybe it was also from your ted talk i think you said this this thing about like being yourself is a revolutionary act and i my very first book was called daring to be ourselves it's also i think there's so much of that i mean it, it sounds like counterintuitive that you know being yourself should not take courage but in today's society I think everybody, you know, is is trying to fit in. I do think there's a lot to be said for just that and it sometimes it's easier said than done.
0: Absolutely. And I think being yourself is a revolutionary act because of the fact that we're being pressured to fit into boxes. Mm-hmm. You know, we're being pressured to doubt ourselves, especially women. You know, the world thrives when we are constantly questioning ourselves and how good we are and our worth and our value. You know, my insistence on being who I am, no matter what room I'm in, makes me stand out, which mm-hmm. is kind of crazy. I'm like, I don't consider what I do extraordinary, but the fact mm-hmm. that it is simply because I show up as myself, authentically as myself, mm-hmm. it's like, I want to live in a world where that, that's not extraordinary.
1: No, and speaking about when you were talking about women, because I remember one thing that stood out to me when you talked about the courage to be the domino. Women are taught to, you know, to please and be liked and to to not make trouble. You know, you're consistently like speaking your truth um, with such boldness. What is your call to action and why do we need more dominoes?
0: My call to action is that we all exist as the people that we want to live with, Right. If we mm-hmm. all operate in this world as somebody that we would want to be in close community with, we might operate better, which mm-hmm. means we need to show up for each other more. I consider you know community business all of our business. If one person is sick, we should all care. Mm-hmm. You know, if one person's house is on fire, we should all call 911. Mm-hmm. You know, instead of constantly passing the baton to other people to do the work, I think we need mm-hmm. to feel convicted to do it ourselves. And if everybody feels convicted, it becomes more of a it becomes more of our culture to be collective. The United States is especially an individualistic country. And I think what we're seeing right now is what happens when everybody thinks I am for myself and nothing more, Mm -hmm. right? So being the domino is the idea that if I put myself on the line, it's with the hopes that somebody else will see that and do the same. If I speak up, it's with the hopes that it'll give somebody else courage to speak up. Mm -hmm. But usually we're waiting for that one person to start the thing. Mm -hmm. But what happens if we all go, I'm gonna be the one that starts the thing. It's gonna be transformative for us.
1: The other thing that I think is related to this is you, you also write and talk a lot about having the courage to risk failure. And that in our society is considered just, you know, the absolute worst thing that you could do is to fail. How would you sort of reframe our relationship to failure and why is that important, do you think?
0: Yeah, I don't think failure is real unless you fell flat on your face and learned nothing from it. Mm-hmm. I think we're so afraid of failure as in we're afraid of being humiliated, disappointed. Mm-hmm. We're afraid of looking stupid or, or looking like we don't know what we're doing. So then we don't take risks. We don't do things that feel big. Mm-hmm. We will stay in these little boxes because we're like in the box, I know I won't fail. But in the box, you're actually failing because you're not growing, you know, you're stuck there. You know. So for me, we have to give ourselves permission to fail. We have to give ourselves permission to not always get it right. You know, we live in a world where white men take big risks, not because they're braver than us, not because they're smarter than us. It's because they have, they have nets, safety nets, that tells them that, eh, failure is temporary, right? The rest of us don't feel like we have the safety nets. So then we don't do it. And it's also because of the system that's been built. But when we start giving ourselves the permission to fail, we're really giving ourselves permission to do big things and just see how it happens, see what happens from it. Mm -hmm. I've had major fails. I've fails, but in the moment when you fall flat on your face, when you might feel humiliated, it does feel tough. It is painful. It's not fun, but usually on the other side of it, you will have learned something more. You will learn something you probably shouldn't do or something you should do better. You will learn just something that is necessary for your journey to continue. And I think failure is typically that point. It's a learning moment. Mm -hmm. And it's required for you to be somebody of note of impact in this world. You're going to have to fail. You're going to have to fail at least one time. Nobody who is somebody of note can say I've never failed.
1: No, absolutely. And I think, you know, related to that, it's, it's so funny because I feel like a lot of the things that we tend to like avoid talking about, which which obviously you always do, is kind of the, is the messy parts of life and of ourselves. And you, you know, sort of so honestly share your own, you know, struggles or, when, you know, how hard it was when your therapist passed away or you're, the challenges that you have. And I had recently done this interview with, if you know V, formerly Eve Ensler, and we were talking about this concept of turning pain into power. Some of our growth comes from our wounds and sort of our our traumas and our challenges.
0: Yeah. Turning your opinions to power is in these moments of fail, in these moments of trauma, Mm -hmm. what is on the other side of it for you? Mm -hmm. And sometimes we will even go through it and sharing our experience will help somebody else go through theirs. Mm -hmm. And that is power. You know, none of our experiences can be wasted or should be wasted. I'm also a fan of never wasting my words. Right. So my experiences can't be wasted. It can't stop with me. So that's why I'm also candid about sharing some of these moments, because somebody somewhere is feeling alone in theirs. Meanwhile, they don't realize, oh, I've gone through that myself. Mm-hmm. So I think one of the things that we can do. To feel less. Traumatic about some of these moments of failures to share with somebody and, and use it as a point of connection and say and use it as a point of common ground none of us are exceptional in our failing right but we we should be using that as a lesson that will help somebody else like i'm hoping my life is a survival guide for somebody else i'm hoping my words is uh is a bomb for somebody else i wrote professional troublemaker you know with the hopes that somebody else will read this and go got it i'm going to do something different or got it i'm not too much or i'm not you know i'm not a failure Got it. I can actually still fall flat on my face and still be somebody of value. So, you know, I'm hoping that I loan people courage, whether they're reading my book or listening to my podcast or just hearing my random social media rants. My goal is to, like, have somebody else feel less alone, have somebody else feel more seen and affirmed.
1: Well, I'm pleased to be able to share with you a, a, like a firsthand story because you write about being too much. And my youngest daughter, Lotus, who's very sensitive and empathic. And she's literally has said that line to me, you know, that she's worries that she's too much. And I was so thrilled to be able to, to read. You've got a lot on this topic. You, you know, you wrote, your too muchness is a superpower and haters don't want to see you don your cape. So what do you do be so much, be the full totality of you. Can you speak about this concept of too muchness?
0: Well, let Lotus know there's a version of the book coming out for her in six months because Rising really Troublemaker's Troublemaker is coming out. So out. she's going to be great candidate for that. To be too much, like so many of us have heard it about different things about ourselves. Mm. Too loud, you're too mouthy. You know, some people have been told they're too tall. Like, can you imagine? These are things about us that are core to who we are. Mm -hmm. So when the world weaponizes against us, we think our job is to find a way to diminish that thing Mm -hmm. or fix it, even though it's not to be fixed. It is your superpower, that thing. you know, Many of us who were told you talk too much when you were little, well, now I'm a speaker. I'm a professional speaker. That too muchness, had I let it make me quiet, imagine what the world would be missing out on. Imagine the impact, imagine how I wouldn't be working like walking in my purpose. So many times we hear that we are to something and we go thinking we have to fix it. And it's not for us to fix, it's for us to double down on, you know, as long as it's not harming somebody personally or professionally, that thing that somebody's criticizing you for is probably the thing that holds the key to what you're supposed to be doing. So Lotus is probably going to grow up. She might be a therapist. She might be an intuitive reader she might but whatever that thing is no one no one should stamp it out of her mm-hmm. nobody should stamp it out of her nobody should convince her that that thing is defective you know nobody should act as if it is not her in her full glory and that it's not to be celebrated it is to be celebrated not just tolerated definitely not insulted mm-hmm. and i just want to give us full permission to be too much
1: Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. And you should know that already, because she's surrounded by all these messages. She's writing children's books to help the planet. She's doing music, empowering music, and it's like what you're saying—just people, you know, can then step into their calling because they're too much. It's exactly that. So I'm grateful to have messages that you know help her. To, to know these things early on. Yes. Um, so I'm so excited that you have a book that's coming out for teens, A so Rising Troublemaker. You know, what are you most hoping to instill in younger generations today? Yeah,
0: what really made me decide to do the book is having parents tell me that the message in the book they wish they had when they were 12, 13, 14. I even had one parent tell me that one of her daughters started at a new school and came home and was like, uh, the kids don't want to play with me. Mm-hmm. I think I'm just like too much for them. Funny enough, I actually mm-hmm. screenshotted it. And she said she read her the Be Too Much chapter and daughter goes to school and like three mm-hmm. days later she comes back and was like, "Mom, I found my people. Like I wasn't too much. And like now she's joined a club. And it was just from her switching and understanding that if mm-hmm. somebody did not really love that piece of her, somebody else would. Mm-hmm. And I was like, imagine how transformative it would have been for us to get this message when we were young, when we were teenagers. So moms, dads, teachers, they were like, I'm reading this to my kids. And I was like, you know what? Let me write one just for them. That of course includes that be too much chapter, but I wanted to speak directly to them, to the different pain points. The things that they didn't tell us when we were little that I wish we had known, you know, things like even like, save your money. I didn't know about negotiating mm-hmm. salaries until I was 30-something. Mm-hmm. I should have known this when I was 14. Yeah. So Rise and Troublemaker is an affirmation for them. It's a permission slip for them. And it's honestly what I would, it's the book I would give my kids mm-hmm. to be like, let me just baseline you so you just at mm-hmm. least have some idea of what is actually happening in this world around how people are going to treat you, how people are going to project things at you, How you're gonna walk with your own traumas, and it's gonna stop you from like showing up as your full self. Yeah, that's why I wrote Rising Troublemaker, and I'm really excited for 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 teenagers to get it.
1: I am too. I I, I can't wait to help promote it, and I'm very grateful. I I constantly have conversations with like, why don't we learn these things like in school, like basic like life skills to be, you know, all of these things. So I appreciate that there's gonna be like a lovey curriculum. Yes, um,
0: and I'm hoping <laughs> teachers get it for their classes. They get to mm-hmm. like talk about it. They get to do their wikis. all of that. <laughs> I'm, I'm excited for
1: it. I am really excited too. Season two of Shift Makers was brought to you by the Shift Network. Shift offers courses, programs, and workshops to unlock your full potential through transformative education and media with like-minded allies who are called to create a better world. Visit theshiftnetwork.com to learn more about their online courses, summits, and events. So one of the things I was curious about, because, and I've heard you talk about this, originally you were a somewhat introverted, more private person. What has it been like for you to become, you know, such a kind of, you know, prominent and visible public figure and thought leader?
0: Weird, okay? Because (laughs) I never thought about prominence or visibility. It was never my motivating factor for the work I do. Mm -hmm. I'm just somebody who now has become more known because I've honored my purpose. And I feel like, being known is an occupational hazard of it. <laughs> like I'm still an introvert. I'm still, you know, very much like the person who walks in a room and I don't show up in a room and become the life of a party instantly. I'm, I'm usually just kind of sitting back and watching, um, especially as I get more visible. I never want to just suck the air out of a room. So I'll walk in and just, you know, know my space. Um, yeah. It's really interesting. It's, it's, it's very strange because I'm like, I'm still just me. I see myself as, yeah, this Nigerian girl who's just doing the things she loves. So when people are like, oh my God, it's lovey. I'm like, that's Mm me. So yeah, it's, it's really interesting. It's fascinating. It's just like... It's 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 an adjustment.
1: Yeah. Well, you deserve it all. So I am so grateful that, you know, you just, your following just continues to grow. And one question I've been just sort of asking, I had done this campaign with Gloria Steinem. She came up with this phrase, we are linked, not ranked. So my question is both like, what does we are linked, not ranked mean to you? And do you have an overarching philosophy um, that you would say guides you? I think we
0: are linked, not ranked means there's no one of us who is more important than the other. Mm -hmm. We are part of a larger collective. We should probably operate that way. That's what that I instantly got from that phrase. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Do I have an overarching philosophy? You know, just in life, probably under promise over deliver is one of my main ones, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which is the idea of, I mean, I'm usually, I want to be a woman of my word. And if I'm going to say, I'm going to do something, not only will I do it, but I'm going to blow your mind as I do it. I'm going to add some value. I'm going to give you more than I said I was going to give you. Mm. I think that's just important in general. I, I, I operate in that way personally Mm. and professionally. Yeah. by under promising and just being like, how can I do more? How can I add value?
1: That's great. Thinking what we're capable of and just, Go, going for our full potential. I had interviewed you last year for a roundup piece, When Black Women Lead, We All Win, with uh, my colleague Tolu Lawrence. And in one of your responses, you had powerfully reflected that, quote, a lot of Black womanhood is based on multiple forms of oppression, which is part of what makes them good leaders. And then you said, because those who have been trampled upon are the ones who know how to lead best without having somebody else's head stepped on. And I think that is so powerful and true. And, you know, is in my opinion, definitely the type of leadership we need now. So can you elaborate on that? And also what are tangible ways that we can sort of best elevate and support black women's leadership?
0: Yeah, I always tr- trust people who've been marginalized to lead, mm-hmm. just because they know what's been done to them. They know what it feels like to be placed on the lower totem pole, you know? Mm -hmm. And so when it's time for them to lead, they will know the questions to ask. They will know the blind spots to cover. And so when Black women are in positions of leadership, I have more confidence in that place, on that thing. Because I know that because we've had certain treatment, we're not passing that treatment on. Mm -hmm. Um, We have sensitivities that others might not have. We operate already like the conscience of the world. Mm-hmm. So, when placed in leadership, we're more prone to show up better. And how people yes. can support Black women in our leadership? Well, support is a verb. You know, people need to believe us,
1: mm-hmm.
0: show up for us, pay us. I think those are key things that people have to do advocate for us, mm-hmm. whether we're in the room or not. Mm-hmm. It's really leadership, allyship. Community, those are verbs. Mm -hmm. And people have to put some action behind what they say is their intention.
1: No, I wholeheartedly agree. And to me right now, you know, when I'm looking at everything that's kind of, you know, well, you called it a dumpster fire. We're facing a lot of, you know, challenges, injustice to to climate change, to a global pandemic. What is your relationship to hope right now? I mean, to me, I feel like the human race, you know, sort of needs to raise its consciousness. It feels like it's like a survival issue at the moment. So like, are you hopeful that we can change our ways and in the ways that you've been laying out i'm hopeful about it because here's the thing is like you can't ever lose hope because if you Mm -hmm. lose hope you don't have
0: anything else yeah if you become hopeless then there's nothing to work towards Mm -hmm. there's nothing that motivates you to get out of bed Mm -hmm. so i maintain hope because even in the worst moments of humanity we've come out on the other side of it Mm -hmm. right so in those terrible moments if everybody lost hope there would be no other side of it so it's our job to kind of hold hold steady with hope Mm -hmm. and keep working with the belief that you can put some of the fire out
1: and as we celebrate this new year, you know, you always hear this new year, new you, what were some New Year's resolutions that you were taking up and what would be your advice on for people creating kind of a, a meaningful roadmap to make this next year a good year, no matter what the world or, or one's life, you know, may bring?
0: I don't do New Year's resolutions. <laughs> <laughs> I don't because I'm always like the first of January A magic wand does not wave that makes me all of a sudden wanna start new things. Mm -hmm. Um, What I do in the beginning of every year is I write down things that I want that year as opposed to just resolutions. I just write down what I want and then I forget it until the next year where I look at that list and see if I got it. Everybody here is new year, new you. I think it's new year, true you. Like new year, truer you, honestly just double down on what you were doing that was good. And then if you have habits that you don't like, yeah, you can resolve to stop them, but I don't make a bunch of bullet points to tell me to become a new person. That's how you set yourself up a failure. (laughs) That, That is a setup of failure when you go like, okay, I'm gonna lose 25 pounds this new year. No, what you can say is I want to be more healthy this year. I wanna have healthier habits, but to like assign and quantify, how much you want to lose. You're basically now telling yourself, if you don't do it, you failed, which now puts you behind. The, it's a setup. It's, that's why gyms that are like full in January, they are empty in February because your job was not to become a new person mm-hmm. in the new year. Just enhance what you've been doing. That's great. And then you can attempt to taper off on the habits that you didn't like.
1: New year, true you. That's, that's, I'm, I love that. With all of your very busy life and with this, you know, crazy world, what practices do you do to kind of keep yourself, you know, centered and grounded, kind of in a good headspace?
0: I love listening to music, whether it's sound therapy, whether it's 90s R&B, whether it's gospel. Mm-hmm. I love listening to music. What else? I love massages. Having good conversations with my friends is a form of self-care. hmm and um, keeping my skin clean. I love self care <laughs> Sunday. I like exfoliate my skin. I do face masks. You've great skin. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Amazing right? glowing
1: skin. It's really true. It's so working. <laughs> I'm
0: like that's that's how I keep myself. You know, I'll sometimes I'll binge watch terrible television, mm-hmm. and um, all of those matter. You mm-hmm. know, I'll play random games on my iPhone because I'd be like, oh, <laughs> I just don't want to think for the next hour, and I'll just play a random Jewel Crush game. <laughs> all those things matter because we work yeah. very hard. So being able to unplug in different ways, unplugging looks like very many different things.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, I I just have to say, having you know followed you across all, all your social and your books and TED talks and everything, like I, I'm just so struck how passionately committed you seem to really sharing your truth, to help people, motivate people, comfort people, have them not feel alone, create solidarity, community. What, what is the source of all your energy? Like what drives you to do what you do?
0: People are always like, Oh my God, you're doing a lot. I'm like, <laughs> the, the source of my energy is probably knowing that I'm doing purpose work and it's work that I love. Like, I love the work that I do. I really enjoy it. And to, and which is also why I find it hard to unplug from it. Even mm-hmm. when I'm off, I'm still thinking about certain, I might be thinking about a project I'm thinking of, or, mm-hmm. or like the book I want to write or, because I'm energized by the work itself. I'm, I have fun doing what I do. When I'm not having fun, you don't hear from me. You know, I don't force anything. You know, I don't force partnerships. I don't force posts. My team, we even tried an, edi- uh, an editorial calendar one time, like for a couple of weeks. And I finally was like, ah, we don't need it. We don't mm-hmm. need it. This work is <laughs> organic in a way that we can't calendar this. So, and, and I always tell them like, listen, we can go days without posting if we don't need, like, if we need to. Mm -hmm. It's not really about the quantity of my posts. It's like, I don't say anything unless I feel like saying something. Mm -hmm. I feel like saying something a lot, Mm -hmm. you know? So... It's all because I enjoy the work.
1: Well, and, and you can you can feel that. And and we also enjoy it. So um, so I appreciate that. I'm always like, what is Lovey gonna say something about this? And and usually, whatever it is, it's you 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 tend to have something to say and put us in the right perspective. So last question. This podcast is called Shift Makers. What paradigm shift do you think is most important that you would most want to see in the world? And are you hopeful we can achieve it?
0: The paradigm shift is that we are all each other's business. That's what I hope we can achieve in this world, where we feel convicted about each other's well-being, and we operate with that. You know, mm-hmm. if you see somebody who's struggling in the street and you have something to help, help. If you're wearing, you know, if you're vaccinated, and somebody else is not, you know, you offer them a mask. If you're not vaccinated, you keep your mask on. Whatever that is, I think it's really important for us to um, start thinking about the collective as we're thinking about the individual. In what ways am I adding to the dumpster fire of the world? In what ways am I helping to fix it? Mm-hmm. That's major. Imagine mm-hmm. if we were all a little bit more selfless.
1: Well, I am so grateful for everything that you do to make the world a better place and for taking the time to talk to me today. And I will continue to, to follow all of, all of your amazing work and spread the word. So you know, huge, huge gratitude.
0: Thank you so much for having me. It's always an honor to share space with you. Like you've absolutely believed in my work. You helped amplify it. And I deeply appreciate that because yeah, it's, you know, there's so much, there's so many amazing people doing amazing things. So whenever somebody sees me, I'm like, much appreciated there.
1: To learn more about Lovey's books, podcasts, and public appearances, please visit lovey.org. Thank you for listening, and I hope you will join us again. ShiftMakers was created by Marianne Schnall and season two was developed by Joy Donnell. Story producer and editor A Kirsten. Research assistant Angela Joshi. Some audio mixing by Timothy Dixon. Special thanks to Emiliano Lamon. For more information about this podcast or our host, Marianne Schnall, please visit Marianschnall.com.